KRCL, Salt Lake City. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community with me tonight. Coming up on the show, it's week one of the Utah legislature last week, and man, they came out of the gate like a rocket. I'm going to mix a lot of metaphors and try not to perhaps use words I shouldn't on a terrestrially licensed radio station. But coming up, we've got radioactive host emeritus Sue Robbins of Equality Utah's Transgender Advisory Council and Jerry Brummett, who testified before the legislature last week and was last week Salt Lake County Republican Party parliamentarian. We'll find out what's happened there. Coming up in rallies and resources, some Sundance and Slam Dance updates. And in fact, let's get to rallies and resources right now. If you go to krcl.org, you can find this list curated by the Radioactive team. And joining me to help in that pursuit, I have a new intern to introduce you all to. Please welcome Valerie Tamadakis. Hey, Val, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I wanted to share your story a bit with the folks listening. You're going to be helping out on Monday nights. And I said rallies and resources. You're like, yeah, that's up my that's up my alley. <laughs> so tell us a bit about where you are in school. Yeah, so I am currently a junior in high school, and I love current events. I love all things news. I am captain of my debate team, so I just help run all of it. So current events, you're going to help us find some more? Absolutely. Some uh, things that might interest the radioactive crowd? Yeah, okay. hopefully. So, and you're also telling me that you're shooting for the Naval Academy. I am. So I just enjoy the Naval Academy because they pay full tuition. And the <laughs> Naval Academy is the only one of the academies that have a women's golf team, which I am also interested in. Yeah. Well, good. Good. If I can write a letter of reference. Don't know if something from KRCL would help, but happy to do that. <laughs> so, and you're also out at Ames. Yes. And that school, again, is a, is, tell us about that school. Um, so that is a school for engineering, mathematics, and science. So we do a lot with robotics and stuff like that. We're not, like, as big on the writing, so it's kind of ironic yeah. that this is my internship, but yeah. something I enjoy more so than engineering. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for volunteering your time doing your internship with us and folks you'll start hearing Val on the show bringing us some rallies and resources such as this at krcl.org again go to the community affairs tab and you'll find some items tomorrow is the state of the city at 6 p.m. with Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall also tomorrow just got word of this earlier today the ACLU of Utah and some other folks are organizing nobody is illegal at noon a fight for trans kids at the Capitol and that's going to be happening on the south steps at noon tomorrow and they say what to expect an opportunity for Utahns who support rights and freedom to unite and send a clear message that nobody is illegal in Utah you can add your voice to that message They also want to call out this, trans youth deserve respect, dignity, and the freedom to be themselves. So that is tomorrow at noon. We'll add it to the rallies and resources list. And I also saw something just as I was signing on. Let me uh, get this up as well, if I can find it really quick. It is something to do with the Great Salt Lake, a special announcement coming on Wednesday. So if you're watching the legislature for environmental news, looks like something is happening perhaps on Wednesday that you're going to want to stay tuned for. Also on Wednesday, from 3 to 6 p.m. at the state capitol, it's a Let Utah Read read-in. 
and it's being organized in partnership with Penn America, the ACLU, and members of the Utah Library Community. And that's a read-in to support Utah's right to read from 3 to 6. From 4.30 to 5.30, they're going to have best-selling authors Erica L. Sanchez and Shannon Hale speaking, as well as Utah Poet Laureate Lisa Bickmore, Tanner Humanities Center Director Erica George, and Poet and Literature Professor Kimberly Johnson talking about the power of literature and the importance of our First Amendment rights. And you're invited to bring your own book to read between talks, or you can even borrow one from them. They'll have a, a little library up there going, it sounds like. Thursday through Saturday, the 26th through 28th of January, it is the annual Salt Lake County Homeless Point in Time Count, and they need volunteers. You'll go out and help gain a deeper understanding of how many and how individuals may go unsheltered on a given night. Volunteers, you'll be using a smartphone app to complete short surveys with those you encounter experiencing homelessness each morning from 4 to 6 a.m., and I've got a link for you in rallies and resources. And now for a bit of a, a Sundance update. Over the weekend, Planned Parenthood held its annual sex, politics, TV, and film forum. And I ran into Elisa Wells up there on Sunday talking about Plan C Pills, the organization she helped co-found. And there is a movie by that name that is premiering. Here's Elisa on the organization, Plan C Pills. Elisa Wells, Plan C Pills. We are an initiative to shine a light on abortion pills as a modern medical technology that has a really transformative power uh, with respect to abortion access. We know that as legislators and courts are shutting down access, other people are finding ways to get these pills directly into the hands of the person who needs them. What are your concerns with states now trying to legislate this option away? Well, we have never held uh, held our breath waiting for people to change the law. Um, so we have found ways to work around that to get access. So it, yeah, people will um, continue to try and block access. Our main concern is that they not criminalize the person who's doing the abortion themselves. Uh, we have heard that from the Alabama Attorney General. We've heard it from other people. And uh, we really want to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, so we provide information, we provide access to uh, referrals to legal resources, and uh, just as good as information as we can get about how to reduce your risk of criminalization. Uh, and then a lot of information about how to find pills, how to take the pills, and where to go for medical support while you're taking the pills for a self-managed abortion. Thanks, Elise. Yeah, you're welcome. And that is Elisa Wells from Plan C Pills. Plan C, a documentary premiering at Sundance as we speak. Another film that premiered at Sundance over the weekend is 20 Days in Mariupol, and this was an incredibly fascinating documentary from AP videographers, Ukrainian AP videographers on the ground as the siege of Mariupol in Ukraine started. And here's a comment or two from director Mstislav Chernov. Again, this was said in the film, the connection in the city was terrible, or was none. So everything I filmed maybe uh, uh, 40 minutes was published, sent through. And we went out of the city with uh, around 30 hours of footage. So at that point, we felt terribly guilty. We felt that we didn't do enough. And uh, the next day we left, uh, Mariupol Theater, Drama Theater was bombed, and we felt just devastated because we knew that place. We, we saw people there. We knew 
but just by knowing that that, that building was bombed, we knew that hundreds failed. We didn't know how many, but again, we couldn't know because there were no jeopardists anymore in the city. So there was like just a black hole of information, which is nothing coming out. And we were devastated. And at that point, I thought, I need to tell more. So in 30 seconds, one minute clips, which you see in the news, you can't really understand the full picture. I'm a news, a news journalist, right? I'm, shoot, I'm shooting news, so I know that. Uh, and therefore, I wanted to do more, and that's where um, AP editors and the, the frontline came in, and they helped me to shape the film. The choice of the the choice of the narrative device, so the, the the perspective of a journalist, was not the first choice. Actually, uh, it was one of the choices, but uh, we ended up using it partially because that was um, the best. Uh, lens to show, to connect all the stories together naturally as one and to show the progression of the siege so you could see how the city falls into an abyss. And two, uh, we're also Ukrainians, so I felt that telling the story of the Ukrainian on the ground will be uh, a part of a larger Ukrainian story. If I was a foreigner, in Mariupol, that would be never filmed about my own experience. But since we are part of the community, Afghani's uh, hometown is uh, 80 kilometers from the Mariupol and it's uh, occupied. Um, Basilisa's uh, hometown is fortunately not occupied. It's Kharkiv, but um, her home is destroyed by shelling. It's also in the east of the country. So you see, it's our story to us, again, as said in the film. So I felt that yeah, that, that is the appropriate thing to do. Mrs. Slav Chernoff, director of 20 Days in Mariupol, a documentary that prepare, premiered at Sundance and has a couple of more screenings on the 25th at 3 o'clock at Prospector Square Theater in Park City, the 26th at 315 Library Center in Park City, but it's also available online so you can go to sundance.org and create an account doesn't cost you anything then if you decide you want to see that movie uh, go to tickets and uh, give it a try it is not suitable for all audiences it contains scenes of destruction and death and therefore please be advised there were several ukrainians in the audience who now live in utah and we're just so appreciative of this movie and i can tell you the folks around me moved by this, horrified by this. And there's a point in the movie where they ask a Russian minister about this footage that's coming out from the AP. It says, fake news, crisis actors. This video footage puts the lie to that. And now a Sundance review from Gavin Dahl of KRCL. This is Gavin Dahl for Radioactive on KRCL. My Sundance 2023 experience began with a chance encounter hustling to grab popcorn at Park City's Prospector Square Theater before the premiere of Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni project. I came upon the amethyst rock star himself, Saul Williams, in town for a 25th anniversary screening of the film Slam, and I was starstruck. He politely declined an interview, but knowing that another of my all-time favorite poets was in the same theater really confirmed my decision to prioritize this film, one of 12 documentaries from the U.S. competing at this year's 
First of all, the film's editors collapse time marvelously to juxtapose current day Nikki Giovanni with some of her greatest moments on camera 50 years ago in the midst of a remarkable conversation with James Baldwin on the public television program Soul from 1971. He tells her, you're not as pessimistic as you think you are. This is confirmed when she later discusses the childhood trauma of witnessing her father abusing her mother. I refuse to be unhappy about what I can do nothing about. I choose not to grieve, she says. Discussing what storytelling is all about, she further explains, I remember what's important and I make up the rest. The editors include a wide range of emotions, ranging from the somber to the hilarious. Speaking in a church at her aunt's funeral, Nikki suggests during an unscripted moment, the penis is going to go extinct. The camera pans to shocked youngsters in the pews. She's still got her edge, no doubt. Giovanni has compared the experience of black women in America to aliens encountering humans, the filmmakers make it a motif when it comes to Mars exploration. The poet and self-described space freak insists NASA needs to call black women. She wouldn't mind sunsetting her own life on the space station, which she notes is lacking artists. When it's time to die, open the door and let me go, she says. There goes Nikki. Deft, layered, and complex, going to Mars challenges viewers in the best way. Giovanni and her work remain open to interpretation, and the film is careful not to make our minds up for us about what it all means. As co-director Michelle Stevenson stated elegantly after the screening, black women's joy is at the center of the film. She and co-director Joe Brewster brought 10 other members of their production team on stage. They were pleased to return to Sundance after their doc American Promise about unequal educational opportunities for black children won a special jury prize 10 years ago. Here, the filmmakers have drawn an evocative portrait of the woman, her poetry, and her legacy. As Stevenson described it, the film is a peek into Giovanni's brain, constructed with a very weighty purpose to tell her story truthfully to her granddaughter, Kai. The result is more powerful for including footage of times when Nikki chose not to speak or said no. It's an intimate film about a personal poet, and yet the impressionistic style built around moving montages with all praises to black women generates deeper understanding about concepts from Giovanni's infinite inkwell. Her voice, her imagination, her conviction, they are bigger than the filmmakers, her family, or her fans. And as a friend says of Nikki Giovanni on stage at the Apollo Theater in another clip, she writes in a collective sense for all of us. Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni Project will be available for online viewing through Sundance Film Festival January 24th through the 29th. I'm and Gavin Dahl. Thank you, Gavin Dahl from KRCL. Some of our Sundance coverage, which you can find online at krcl.org. There's a Sundance tab popped out across the top. In fact, Autumn Thatcher, our red carpet correspondent, spoke to Brooke Shields on the red carpet about her documentary, Pretty Baby, her story of growing up in the modeling business and how she was treated. Also, Autumn reports about the Sunrise House celebrating AAPI community at Sundance. So check back often for more coverage. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the legislature with folks who've got something to say about how lawmakers are treating trans transgender youth to get us from here to there. Love is love. Grace Potter on KRCL. I don't care about pride and love is love.
Nurture the Creative Mind is an Ogden nonprofit that empowers and establishes self-value in youth through the arts while developing marketable skills. Learn more about Nurture's art classes and workshops by visiting nurturethecreativemind.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. And welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones, and coming up at 7 o'clock, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm at 8, Night Train with Michelle Tanner at 10.30, and then John Florence starting your brand new day each and every weekday morning at 6. If you miss a show, you can catch the last two weeks of any show on demand at krcl.org. Just click on the Programs tab. And if you have questions, comments, suggestions for Radioactive, feel free to send me an email, radioactive at krcl.org. Welcome back to the show, Radioactive host emeritus, Sue Robbins, now of the Transgender Advisory Council with Equality Utah. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Two Mondays in a row. It's I like know, the way right? it used to be. Right? Exactly, right? <laughs> you're, you're back, right? <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that, here. right? Absolutely. <laughs> and also with you, another... Uh, I, I, Jerry Brummett, how would you like to introduce yourself? Because I've got lots of... Uh, modifiers I could hang on your credentials, but I'd like to have you share with our listeners how you would like to be framed for this discussion. Well, I am a member of the Utah Republican Party. I've uh, held many party positions over the years and uh, in leadership, and I'm a well-known, unquestioned advocate of conservative American values. Um, up until 11 o'clock this morning, I was also the parliamentarian for the uh, Salt Lake Republican Party. Um, apparently, I'm not now. Um, I apparently wasn't nice enough to certain legislators when I spoke against um, government overreach uh, against transgender community, of which I'm a member. I've got that clip. Let's hear it. Good afternoon. Thank My you. name is Jerry Brummett, and I reside in within Senate District 14. I'm speaking here today as a private citizen. However, as many of you on this panel know, I'm a conservative Republican with over three decades of party leadership and an unquestioned advocate of conservative American values. I currently serve as the parliamentarian for the Salt Lake County Republican Party. On this day, I speak to you as a conservative trans woman who is advocating against the passage of SB 16 and other anti-transgender proposals. SB 14 purports to protect transgender minors from doctors and parents. What the real effect is to place the legislature and our state government between parents, their children, and their doctors. SB 16 is more correctly titled, The Legislature Knows Best, and you certainly seem to know more than the parents about what is best for their children. Nothing could be further from true conservative American values. In fact, in this legislature and legislatures around the country, there's a lot of rhetoric about government inserting themselves between parents and children. For example, Senator Weiler's bill, SB 100, against governmental overreach by school boards in Loudoun County, and legislation against medical kidnapping, such as the bills introduced in Idaho and have been suggested for Utah. It is not the proper role of government to interfere between parents and their children. As Oklahoma governor said recently, God gave kids to parents, not the government. 
Each parent has the right to choose to raise their own children according to their own family values, shape the way they see and interact with the world, and set them on a path that they choose, and decide what is right and wrong, what is good and bad for them, free of unjustified mandates and government overreach, the army of parents. I know that many of you disagree with my decision to live my life authentically. Many of you disagree with decisions being made by parents about their transgender children in consultation with their doctors. In a free society, the inalienable rights of liberty and the pursuit of happiness require that we as people are allowed to live and make our decisions according to the dictates of our own conscience. In short, in order for there to be a right to be right, you must exist the right to be wrong. This is fundamental in our company, in our country. God bless you and God bless the state of Utah. Thank you. Thank you. Jerry Rummett testifying before the Senate Health and Human Services Committee last Thursday, I believe. And Jerry, what happened over the weekend? Well, as I said, some uh, members of the party were not happy um, that I, one, mentioned my party position and my party background. Um, essentially, the party would like me to soften, quiet, or remove my voice. Um, two years ago, I was the only openly transgender leader in the Utah Republican Party. Since that time, a second very brave trans woman has come out in central Utah, leaving two of us up until 11 o'clock this morning when we are back down to one, and I fear soon probably none. What does that mean for your membership in the Republican Party? Well, I'm a Republican. I believe in small government that um, stays out of people's rights. Um, the Republican Party was founded um, almost 170-some years ago um, because states were using power to enslave people. Um, we were right back then. And we're right now on a lot of things with federal government overreach and local government overreach. The, the Utah State Legislature is not in a position to practice medicine. Even the most anti-transgender conservative organizations out there on all of their websites have positions that say parental rights are important. Now, they're mainly poking at school boards and other things like this. But either parents are given the right to, or excuse me, own the right, um, the God-given right to raise their children, or the children, uh, the raising of our children is fundamentally a governmental function. There's nothing in between. It's really, you know, when we talk about parental rights, it's a, it's a, a discussion between authority. And for example, in Germany, um, in their constitution. And by the way, this lasts from the days of the Nazi Reich. Children are to be raised for and by the state, and parents are given um, by the state certain authority to exercise that raising. And that is fundamentally anathema to American conservative values. Parents know best about their children. 
Sue Robbins, Transgender Advisory Council with Equality Utah. This first week, usually I feel like this conversation is reserved for the last hours of a general session and then things behind closed doors suddenly pop up. But it seems like lawmakers are going for it out of the gate the first week, Sue. Oh, they're coming hard. And it's intentional on their part. They, what had happened at the end of the last session, as uh, many of us know very well, is when the sports bill started to take oxygen out of the room at the very end, uh, they and they brought in the ban, which they could have just not brought in. I would have been fine with that. But what ended up happening is there's a lot of bills that needed to be discussed that were still on the board at midnight. Other bills. Other, other bills. Things. And there were sponsors of those bills that were not happy that they did all the work to get to the end and then they weren't put up for a vote. So what the attempt is, as I'm told, is that they want to get the most controversial ones out of the way so that they can focus on all the other legislation. To me, the, the side effect of that is by trying to push the most controversial through, and we see others that are uh, controversial like uh, the HGR2. That's the uh, rewriting of the judiciary rules that would take the legs out of the lawsuit over the trigger bill abortion ban. Right, and HB 215, which is the school voucher teacher raise one. So all of these are controversial. And if they push them through in the beginning, then they're saying they open up the table for more conversations. But to me, the, the bad side effect of this is by pushing it through in a hurry is we have less conversations mm. as a public and so there's less time to say this is on the board and I want to engage my legislature and, and talk with them about it because it's out of committee and then it's off. It's already voted by the Senate. By the end of this week, some of these bills could already be through the other chamber and then it's done and over with in two weeks. And I'm coaching people on here's how you talk with, their, with your senator or your representative. Here's how you engage them. And time's almost up. So they worked on this over interim, it sounds like, and you came in and reported on some of those committee meetings. So they were ready to go on day one. So the public comment feels a bit like a box check. Yeah, I think there's a piece of this is one is the only one out of the transgender bills that was really worked in interim was Senator Kennedy's. The rest of them really weren't publicized out there. And I don't believe any of them came up in an interim hearing, to my knowledge. So the second is, is how many people really understand what's going on on interim. Unless it's a huge bill that gets into the news, mm -hmm. uh, people are like, interim, what's that? So there's a part of public education that obviously we need to do if we need to be engaged sooner. But also just if it's going to be controversial, let's work through it properly. We see even in the others that aren't around the transgender community, there's a lot of public outcry about both of those. Mm -hmm. On the transgender community bills, there's outcry from our community, but I feel like outside of that, it's very much there's a lot of education missing that makes it more difficult to have healthy discussions as opposed to discussions that go around the culture wars. You shared uh, another clip in the last day from Senator Jen Plum. Will you set this up for us? Yes. Yeah, so as we went through the committee hearing, Senator Jen Plum is a doctor who has done a lot of wonderful things. She's an ER doctor. She's a pediatric doctor. She does Utah Naloxone, done a lot of activism. So she's had broad impact, harm reduction, and has worked with the legislature, legislature before. This was her first committee 
uh, her first time being in there working on this. So it was her first exposure to have the transgender health care bill come up. She spoke a lot because she has personal experience with this community. Professionally, she, but also personally. Yes, personally. She's a mom of she a is, transgender kiddo. Absolutely. So many years of her child being out. So she shared all this and was obviously having to control maybe both representative professional as a medical professional and as a mother, all those emotions and thoughts. And she was amazing. She was very, um, very diplomatic throughout it, which is what she is. That's just how she is. She handled that well from that perspective. But at the end, she kind of brought her issues up with some of this. And this is in the clip. I feel a moral obligation as a pediatrician and someone who cares for kiddos in an emergency department in some of their most vulnerable times, um, as a mom who loves her daughter dearly, and as someone who also believes that we all want what's best for our kids, that, um, that we will figure a way to try to do as best as we can by our kiddos while acknowledging that it is strange for the legislature to be practicing medicine. That, that I don't hear on kids with new diagnosis leukemia or, or traumas from ATVs or trampolines, which, by the way, is the majority of ill and injured kids that I see if we want to talk about where kids are really getting hurt, that, that we don't have that input. And so I, I want the folks who are here to know that you are heard and you are valued and you are loved and you parents are not abusing your children, in my opinion, as a mandatory child abuse reporter. We are here with you, I am here with you, and we will work through this because I can feel the hearts as well from the folks here. We're going to work through this as best we can. And with that said, I vote no. Senator Jen Plum from uh, committee hearings or uh, Senate Health and Human Services last week, correct? Correct. Okay. So a, a lot of emotion, a lot of um, viewpoints that were brought up from folks that weren't part of this community. Can you talk a bit about watching that unfold, Sue and Jerry? Well, um, for my part, you know, this has been years of me sitting in these committees because this is the fourth year that we've had a transgender healthcare ban of some type on the table. Uh, this is first year for Senator Kennedy's, the one that Representative Ship is running over on the House side is basically in its fourth year because the same wording was used by Representative Daw and then Representative Ship has brought it forward three years. So we're not new to this discussion and we're not new to the, uh, the, the pain we may feel from transgender families when they testify and then harmful language we hear uh, from some people who don't want us around. And some of it can even come from legislators, but we need to understand that comes from a place of not necessarily understanding our community and needing to come along the ride with us. And that's the big problem to me is we're trying to overcome, one is a great vast amount of misinformation that's out there that is meant to harm us, that gets into people's minds before they get to know us. And we have to try and educate and bring in our youth so that they see them to try and move that needle in the other direction to combat that misinformation. And that's most of what we're fighting is just the misinformation that went out there that many groups have pushed. That, that misinformation is not um, by accident. 
on both sides of the aisle, um, there are folks that are making their living in this country, spreading fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Lots of FUD. And on the right right now, um, so many people are seeming to lose their minds over a very small percentage of the population, which are transgender, a real tiny minority. On the other side, we have folks on the left losing their head over a whole bunch of issues. And there's an industry on both sides of pundits and media folks that are pushing fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And they're telling people to be afraid. And it's a tactic also in the legislature to run a bill through either at the end or at the very beginning because it prevents public comment and it makes it difficult to bring facts forward into the general population. And this is really a shame in our country because it's leading to have folks having contempt for each other so that they don't listen. I don't always agree with Sue and Sue doesn't always agree with me, but we can do that in a way to be agreeable as we disagree and work together to find common ground and common solutions. And, you know, uh, SB uh, 93 was a great example of that. That's the bill that prevents uh, minors or will prevent minors from changing their name or their gender marker. And what's been reported in the press is it's a gender marker. No, it's their name. And I don't, you know, regardless of how you feel about transgender issues, there are a lot of reasons for a child to need to change their name. Particularly in Utah, we have um, young children escaping polygamy, lost boys, these sorts of things. And, you know, they're trying to start their life and they need to be able to change their name. Um, it's not just as a, an issue of... Um, you know, an adoption, which is something the, the senator has moved into the bill. And then the tactic of the bill was not publicly present until just really before um, the hearings. What do you mean by that? Well, um, we didn't know what was in the bill. We knew it was coming, but the bill was not published um, uh, early when, when SB 16 was. Um, and so we didn't know quite was in, what was in it. Um, and even the senator, if you listen to the hearings, said, well, you know, I, 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 I got this out. I apologize for getting it out a little late. Well, that's a tactic. Everyone in the committee knew what was on that bill. And others, had, the bill had been discussed in private. And so the, the tactic is to um, not give the public time to respond because this is a very bad bill in the sense that it has unintended consequences. Yes, I'm transgender. Yes, I believe it's important for transgender youth to be able to change their name. That being said, there are so many other vulnerable populations. You know, if your parents named you Dorcas because it was a great Utah name, you know, and it seemed like the right thing to do with a little bundle of joy, but by second grade, Dorcas is not too happy, and the parents have probably figured out maybe we need a trip to the courts to change their name. These are big issues that, you know, um, the legislature is looking to swing a very big bat for a minor problem. And the statement is, oh, well, we want to prevent some trans kid from doing a fraud around our uh, trans sports ban. Well, honestly, the Utah Supreme Court um, in Gray and Rice set down how to look at uh, name changes and said you can't do it for fraud. You can't do it to misrepresent. 
And so this is a bill that doesn't even solve a problem, um, but it sure makes a message, doesn't it? I've just erased trans children. We're talking about bills affecting the transgender community, in particular transgender youth, with my guests this evening. We have Jerry Brummett and Sue Robbins in the studio with us, already getting people who see I'm on Facebook to play that audio from Dr. Plum saying, can I get a copy of this later? So, folks, it'll be posted at krcl.org for whatever you plan to do with it after this. This conversation really seems to get folks on a variety of sides of the issue riled up. So it's part of the culture wars that we're going through. And Dr. Leon Sapir, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, from the Manhattan Institute was brought in to testify. And he talked about dueling studies um, from the US, from the UK, from Europe. And I have just a, a short clip and then we'll talk about it on the other side. It is not the case, senators, that Finland, Sweden, and England have decided to restrict access to hormones because they don't care about teenagers killing themselves. I assure you, Swedish mothers love their children no less than American mothers do. I assure you, Swedish doctors and mental health professionals take very seriously the problem of suicide. The difference is that medical authorities in these countries have conducted systematic reviews of evidence, something that no American medical organization has done or relied on, and these countries have found no support for the claim that hormones and surgeries are life-saving interventions. Thank you. And then Dr. Jen Plum had a follow-up question. Senator Dr. Jen Plum. I wondered if it would be possible to get a little bit of clarification from the doctor from an institute I haven't heard of before, if I could Dr. get a little Sapir. more information. Nothing like all eyes on you as you come back. Uh, my question for you is, I have um, been in academics for a couple of decades and feel very versed in a lot of the institutions that are out there. I've not heard of the Manhattan Institute, and I wondered if you could share a little bit about your credentials, your experience, your clinical experience, caring for children, et cetera. Go yes, ahead. thank Go you. Uh, <clears throat> Manhattan Institute think tank. Oh, so in not medical. Okay, that's No, no, it's not, it's not a medical, no. Okay. Yes. That's why I hadn't, I was like, I, okay, thank you. Yeah. And are, when you say doctor, are you a clinical physician? I'm, a I'm, not, I'm not a medical doctor. All right. Way to no. step into it in the first part. I was, when no. I heard physician and institute, I went right down my medical pathway. So. Yeah. Sorry for those dropouts. That's from le.utah.gov. If you miss a hearing or you hear just a clip, you want to know fuller context, you can go to le.utah.gov. I'll put in the show notes a direct link, but you are going to be looking for the Senate Health and Human Services Committee under the 2023 tab from January 19th. And the website, your tax dollars at work, by the way, folks, quite marked up so you can uh, go to the different folks that were commenting. Sue. So don't you like that she dropped a nuclear bomb on the Manhattan Institute? Well, I think that's pretty ironic. Uh, <laughs> but so this is what we are always fighting is this is misrepresentation and misinformation. Uh, so to start with, we have seen this before. We've had people come into health and human services and say, I'm doctor so-and-so. And then they start talking like they're medical doctors. And then someone thinks to ask them what they're a doctor of. We had a doctor of instructional design in past years that tried to talk about hormone levels. And Representative Daley Provost decided to ask, and that's when it came true. So this, to me, you know, I've tried to ask Health and Human Services committee members, maybe if someone says they're a doctor in an HHS committee, they should always have to quantify their expertise. 
Well, what, what about, and there's much more that Dr. Sapir had to say, and folks, you can check the link for the full interview, or excuse me, testimony. He talks about, at length, the different studies over here, over there, and the general public who's not involved because they don't have a personal connection or a family member or it's just not their thing, they hear this and they go, well, what about all these studies in Europe where supposedly they've been doing it longer? So can you give us some, some feedback or context on how to parse that? So the part that it does is it brings up two particular countries and then tries to use the word restrict like they're not doing healthcare anymore. Mm-hmm. And really what's happening is they've tightened up the rules a little bit as they're doing more studies. They have not found negative incomes, or excuse me, negative outcomes. I'd like some income for all this. I don't get any. (laughs) But they, they don't have negative outcomes, but what they're saying is, yeah, we need more studies. And I agree, I never mind more studies, but I'll give you an example. The World Professional Association of Transgender Health Standards of Care, which is the care that is used worldwide, and even Senator Kennedy in interim said that is the document that is the guidance. 67 pages of footnotes that point to medical studies. So they're out there. There's plenty of them out there. And Europe is just continuing the discussion. that's good. We want to have discussion. We want to have science. We welcome that. But to give you an example of the way it's cherry picking is they try and say restricting like the healthcare is removed, and it isn't. It's still happening. And those They're, are universal healthcare countries too, aren't they? They are. And then you go over to Scotland and Spain over the last two months. Both of them have come out and said, you can now self-identify as transgender. And they past that as a country. Now, Scotland's a little more complex because they're part of the UK, and the whole UK didn't do that, so they're, they're going back and forth with the United Kingdom on it. But it goes to show this isn't all of Europe that's just tightening everything up. Countries are going back and forth because we're having these discussions. The key thing is, is none of them over there are taking away the health care like we're trying to do here. Mm. And Sue, you have created a website to help folks track these conversations, this information. I have. And part of this was driven by the fact that I believe education is a big part of what's going forward. And also, I felt more community involvement coming on. And while I've tried to share as much as I can over social media, that stuff scrolls into the back over time. So I wanted to create something more static so everybody could have it as a reference. And then journalists can use it and legislators can use it. So on there, I have scientific studies that I've tried to group by the way we politicize the categories, healthcare or conversion therapy. And I've done the same with position statements for major medical and mental health associations. And I'm also trying to cover all the history of our bills. And by the time we get done with this legislature and we see what the outcomes are, not the incomes, (laughs) and uh, then I want to say, here's the state of Utah in these particular categories. So it's going to be a very fluid website that keep growing. And I want to keep having references there that are useful for the everyday person who has a transgender family member, along with journalists who often have to find things in a hurry and aggregating this information is helpful. 
Well, I wanted to go back to you, Jerry, because you've been part of the Salt Lake GOP for a long time. And I'm kind of curious what the conversation has been, especially as you have been out as a trans woman in the party about this information. For you, it's a small government conversation. No, it's a parent. It's a parental rights issue, which is really, you know, um, a lot of conservative people are very happy about the Dobbs decision. A lot of more uh, progressive left-wing people are very, very upset about the Dobbs decision, and they see it as around abortion, and abortion was certainly the issue du jour in the thing. But really, it's a, it's a very interesting thing about principles. Um, and I'd like to back up before I answer sure, that question sure. totally to some things Sue was talking about. In the hearing, I happened to be sitting next to a very prominent emergency room person, emergency physician who's well known in the healthcare industry. And um, a comment that was being made, which really struck a note with me as a conservative, and some hypocrisy out of my own party stand in this particular issue right now, is he said, yeah, nobody wants to go to the UK, Sweden, or Finland seeking serious medical care. Anyone in those countries that can afford to will go elsewhere, and particularly to the United States. Because, as you said, you use the term universal health care. I prefer the term socialized medicine. And, you know, many people in my party rail against socialized medicine until uh, something they do might be convenient, and then we can take it out of context. Um, so very, very different health care systems, and certainly... You know, if I if I stub my toe in, in Finland, they're probably going to take pretty good care of me. But I'm not going there for open-heart surgery, and I want to use that as a straw man for a moment because open-heart surgery really was pretty new in the 60s. Transgender care goes back to the early, early part of the last century. It's last millennium, and they're trying to tell us it's novel. So it's been evolving longer than things like open heart surgery. So back to your question on, you know, where's the party and where am I in the party? Look, I'm a Republican because I believe in individual freedom. I believe that people should make their own way. Um, I'm concerned about people having generational poverty because the system doesn't lift people up and out. These are, these are strong Republican values that are felt by many conservative people around the country. And, you know, if we apply those principles, and I'm applying the principle back to Dobbs, if you look at what they said about unenumerated rights, which parental rights is an unenumerated right, it's a Ninth Amendment concept, Dobbs says, the ideas have to be around for a long time. And they went back on abortion and said, gee, you know, we found a, a I think it was like 1500 law against abortion. Um, we've had laws and court rulings in common law, in the uh, colonies, and through our states and federal system going back thousands of years about parental rights. And parental rights, under the Dobbs decision is an inalienable right. And the really interesting thing about that was in the Gray and Rice decision, 
Almost two years earlier than the Dobbs decision in Utah, the Utah Supreme Court used almost the same logic as Dobbs to say, look, the right to have your name and by extension your gender marker um, goes way back in common law, in the colonies, in the states, and in the federal system. So they really um, beat the, uh, the Utah Supreme Court beat the federal court to some similar logic. And again, you may not like the outcome of the Dobbs decision as it relates to abortion, but it um, sets the precedent here on all of these other unenumerated rights. And being who you are is an inalienable right that is not for the government to grant us. It belongs to each of us. Thanks, Jerry. This is Radioactive. Just 10 minutes left with my guests tonight, Jerry Brummett and Sue Robbins. And so I've got another piece of tape I want to share with the two of you. Actually, you made sure, like, do you have this one? Is it good to go? And I'm like, we're thinking the same thing. Help me set this up. This is uh, new Utah State Senator Nate Lewin reading something before he made his vote. And what struck you about this as we go to this tape, Sue? So what struck me on this, I was up in the gallery on Friday while the Senate was voting on SB 16. And uh, Senator Bluin, who is a freshman senator and was actually, are you a freshman if you get appointed two months before you start serving your <laughs> voted term or are you a sophomore? I don't know. Oh, but uh, Nate had uh, stood up when it was time for his vote and he recognized that his intern made a statement and he wanted to read the statement. So that statement during the vote is what Nate read off and it brought me to tears. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, I think we've had a robust discussion about this bill. So uh, I have my intern Ari with me here on the floor. Uh, I just wanna read a a statement from Ari. Uh, So even before SB 16 has passed the Senate, this bill has already uh, negatively impacted my health and well-being, and is causing adverse impacts on Utah's trans community. It is a reminder of the fact that, the, uh, that even after being able to transition and to fit in with the rest of society, that people like me are not accepted by the majority of this body. This is not a partisan issue. Uh, no one is trying to indoctrinate your kids into the trans community, uh, though we'd welcome them with open arms. I, I wouldn't wish the constant discomfort uh, with my body or the bullying and belittlement on anyone. Uh, SB 16 does nothing but prevent people like me from living comfortably. I cannot tell you how many nights I stayed up wishing I wasn't trans, contemplating whether suicide was better than continuing to live as a trans person. Uh, I would not be alive if I had not been able to transition, and I am lucky that my attempts to take my life before that time failed. Starting hormones has made my life worth living, followed closely by getting top surgery and updating my birth certificate, the last of which I did as a minor. Transgender people have always existed. For many years, we did our best to hide from the vitriol we face in public, but now that we're coming out and fighting for our rights, we're seeing pushback like the bill in front of this body today that tries to deny our existence. To anyone discouraged by how the majority of this legislature will vote, I will say this. Remember that life will get so much better if you are willing to hold on, and the best thing you can do to overcome those who try to diminish your existence is to continue to exist. I will have to face each of you on this floor after this vote, uh, and each of you will have to face me and many other transgender people after today, whether you know it or not. Uh, I hope that that should someone else disclose their transgender identity to you, it's because they're comfortable with you and not because they are pleading with you to recognize their humanity. I hope you can face these people with a clear conscience that you did the right thing today. 
Uh, and with that, Mr. President, I vote no. State Senator Nate Bluen reading that comment from his intern who is up there the entire session, Sue and Jerry. Um, I think that's that's pretty brave to make that statement, agree to make it public and have it read by the senator they're working with, Sue. Yeah, so Ari said that with their name out there and sitting in front, and it takes a lot of emotional energy to do that. And that's part of what kind of made me tear up because I'm looking down uh, to Ari because the gallery's uh, well above and thinking about what thoughts are running through their mind as they hear their their call out to other legislators and their emotions about their transition and their life being stated in a statement to a bunch of people who are voting against transgender health care. So there's a lot that I'm sure was processed there. And I appreciate RE for having that emotional strength. And Jerry, I want to go back as a, a member of the Salt Lake County GOP, no longer the parliamentarian as of 11 o'clock last Friday. Is that I don't know, this morning. This morning, okay. This morning, what is your, your future in party politics? You're still a delegate, I understand? Or? Sure, but, you know, I'm a lifelong Republican, and I'm not going to stop being Republican. When I first came out, uh, many Democrats, both in Washington and locally here, said, oh, you're trans, you're going to join the Democratic Party. I'm not. Yeah. Um, I believe in conservative American values, and many, many Republicans do. And beyond this sort of nuttiness over the issue of people being themselves, um, you know, the Republican Party has been very, very kind to me. Uh, many of the people in the party have reached out um, both before this testimony and after have been incredibly loving, incredibly honest with me. And as I said to members of the legislature, many of them don't understand or agree with how I'm choosing to live my life, nor do they understand or agree with parents making the very best decisions they can for their children. Um, but there is that right to be wrong and, you know, I think um, on this particular issue, the Republican legislature um, in Utah is wrong. Um, they think I'm wrong. And we need debate. We need to understand both on both sides of the aisle that we need to be able to talk to each other and build good legislation and find ways to embrace and love each other. These are Republican values. They're Democratic values. They're American values. And I'd like to use this discussion as a point for everybody. Jerry and I met about 14 months ago, and we have developed a good friendship because we respect each other's opinion, even if we disagree. And we've worked each other through our thoughts, and sometimes we're just not going to come to an agreement, but we come to a better understanding of each other. And in activism, this is what we need more of. We're too divided, and that's part of what's keeping us from move, moving forward because as disinformation comes in and then we just yell at each other and then we don't move forward. So I know this may be um, hard for some people to feel that it's the way forward is I can't talk with someone with that party that's harming me. And I wanna recognize the emotion that you may have in that feeling but I also recognize that there may be some of us that have to be able to step into the middle 
for us to have these discussions to move forward. And it's a hard thing for this country right now, the way we've divided. What's your advice for folks listening to this who want to get involved? That uh, they may go to the rally tomorrow that's at noon on the south steps of the Capitol that the ACLU is hosting, no body is illegal, a phrase that could apply to so many issues going on in our politics right now. But in particular, this one is a fight for trans kids at the Capitol tomorrow at noon. Check rallies and resources for more details. But what's your advice? The session is only one week and a day in. Yeah, it's really hard. And that's the part that I was saying earlier, where it feels like the opportunity passes real quick to be able to have a say. But the House is not going to be able to close this out till Thursday, Friday at best. If you want to be involved and have your voice heard, look up your legislator, your representative, not your senator in this case, on the Utah legislative page. You can find them by punching in your address. Hopefully it's current with all the redistricting that's happened. Send them an email, call them, text them. All that information's there. Don't yell, they'll just turn it off, but tell them what you think and they're there to represent you. So hopefully you get that representation. And Jerry, we've got less than a minute here. Uh, For folks who are Republicans who wanna speak out on this issue in support of the trans community, what's your advice to being engaged in the grassroots level at the county party politics. Come to the rally tomorrow and speak at the 2 p.m. hearing of the House uh, Health Committee tomorrow and then be involved in your community. Really, it you need to be involved in your party. You need to be involved in your local community. You need to stand up for issues and you need to have constructive conversations with your neighbors and your legislators. They work for you. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Sue. Appreciate your time and your willingness to come and speak out. And to all you out there for listening, I'm Laura Jones. This has been Radioactive. Have a great night. KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.